You are listening to Space Time Mind, a podcast by two philosophy professors, Richard Brown and Pete Mandick, who talk about philosophy, science and all sorts of other stuff. Please be advised that this podcast contains strong language and abstract ideas not suitable for all intelligent life forms. Now, Bob, consider this next question very carefully. What is your one purpose in life? To explode, of course. And you can only do it once, right? That is correct. You wouldn't want to explode on the basis of false data, would you? Of course not. Well then, you've already admitted that you have no real proof of the existence of the outside universe. Yes, well... So you have no absolute proof that Sergeant Pinback ordered you to detonate. I recall distinctly the detonation order. My memory is good on matters like these. Of course you remember it, but, but all you're remembering is merely a series of sensory impulses which you now realize have no real definite connection with, with outside reality. True, but since this is so, I have no proof that you are really telling me all this. That's all beside the point. I mean, the concept is valid no matter where it originates. Hmm. So if you detonate in... Nine seconds. You could be doing so on the basis of false data. I have no proof it was false data. You have no proof it was correct data. I must think on this further. Somehow, do a Jedi mind meld. In space! Yeah, so anyway, uh, Transcendence has something to do with Sarch. Sartre? Sartre. Yeah, I know I know. there's an appropriate way to pronounce his name. Um, um, it's Sartre. Uh, Sartre. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know. I, I was online Googling this as I want to do, and I couldn't actually de- determine an answer. So I don't know who this writer guy is. Apparently he's a writer guy who writes a lot of these really bad movies. He allegedly is in being, uh, writing a, a script for Battlestar Galactica. So oh. I think that's something which, uh, if it's based on the new updated series, that's kind of interesting, and also off, uh, it ties into some similar themes, which got me thinking. Also so stupidly, like really dumb, religious in a dumb way, I think. Although, Religious in a dumb way. Exactly. Well, there's so this. Yeah, this why he's not. This movie is not good. So I don't want to really talk about the movie because I thought it was really terrible. Um, but it does, I think, have some connections to existentialism. Uh, and I'm not sure how like overt they are because I don't know anything about this guy. So I don't know if he like um, you know did it on purpose or if these are just universal themes that that's kind of come out when you talk about these issues. So I don't know. But uh, there is a coincidence in that um, uh, you know. In being in nothingness, there's a tra- there's a chapter called transcendence, <laughs> um, uh. and uh, of course Sartre's talking about transcendence in the in the uh, Kantian sense, you know, something that's transcendental. Um, and one of Sartre's big ideas early on, I mean, you know, I don't know how much people care about Sartre, or the guy, actual guy, but one of his big ideas early on, um, I mentioned that I used to like Sartre, right? So yeah. I I, uh, I have more than a passing interest in this stuff. Um, and so he wrote an essay called The Transcendence of the Ego, um, or it's in French, La Transcendence de l'Ego or something. 
And, you know, that's one of his very first essays, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I, it, I used to think it might be his dissertation, but I think that's wrong, too. I don't know, actually, it's, but I think it's written very early. And, and what he's doing in that essay, sometimes people say, is he's sort of breaking with his earlier Husserl, 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 Husserlian, Husserl, whatever. I don't you got it. Husserl, but... Um, Oh, come on. Uh, the, the idea that um, – the basic idea is that, that consciousness is transcendental, or in other words, that it's in the world. It's like not a phenomenon um, in, that, in the strict Kantian sense of those terms because like, that's the tradition that he's coming out of. You know? uh -huh. So when, when Sartre is talking about transcend, transcendence, he's talking about the, the objects that are outside of our experiences, like you know that stuff. Um, so not really the sense of transcendence, of transcending or going above, although there right. probably is – that in there as well, but so I mean, so Sartre's idea is that you know, based it, one thing I really like about Sartre is he's really angry about some of the same things that angered me as a kid. <laughs> like this, you know, he says things like we're condemned to be free. We didn't create ourselves, but we are find ourselves forced to make these free choices, which we're ultimately responsible for, and which you know that kind of sucks. We didn't ask for that, so you know he's yeah. kind of he's angry about that, and I and I like that about him because <laughs> I I mean as a kid when I was exposed to religion that was one of my first reactions was like who is this jerk that allegedly made me and said worship me or die afterwards? I mean yeah. that doesn't seem like the nicest thing in the world to do. So anyway, uh, you get this feeling that Sartre like one of the things that he's like most angry about is that he isn't a self-caused being that his his existence is contingent and dependent on some other some other being, um, and he and so a lot of his philosophy comes out of uh, a hatred for that. I think, and that's where you get the idea of you know he, one of his famous quotes is "I am what I am not," because you know God always says "I am what I am." Yeah, um, and that's what I and that's and then Popeye says and that's all that I am. But uh, um, Sartre <laughs> says "I am what I am not," and his idea was look, I'm not simply the list of facts about myself. I'm like a aiming towards the future. I have goals. I have plans. I want to be those things in the future. I want to be full professor. I want to be, you know, you already are full professor, but yeah. we're not simply like a list of things that's true about us, but we are this like project. I don't want to get too Sartre in here, but I was just recently. Go for it. This. <laughs> so Go we're this project it. that we're aiming at, this like sense of future possibility stuff. Um, so that's how we are what we are not. We are in the process of becoming something else at every moment, right? This other thing we want to be. According to Sartre, uh, yeah. so and, and 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 that's his way of sort of saying we are self-caused. So even though that even though we aren't really self-caused, we can still become a cause of ourselves by you know creating ourselves by choosing freely at every moment. So this is like super Sartrean now, but right. that's the idea that we create ourselves. But you get the feeling that and and so he thinks that any other kind of self-creation is contradictory. So the idea that God is a self-cause he thinks is contradictory. And he gives lots of arguments and being nothingness about that, and that's interesting. But so, okay, so transcendence the movie now. Um, yeah, I want to get back to some of the Sartre stuff, but okay, so but yeah, this is where it connects, go, though. So, uh, you know, I have a class that I've taught a couple times at LaGuardia called Cosmology, Computation, and Consciousness, or some since you know the truth value for and is uh, um, <laughs> you can re rearrange right. the conjuncts. I forget which order it was originally in. But, uh, but in, that, in that class, I had a student, who, a really great student, this guy Oscar Martinez, and he was really into existentialism, and he made, he made me, um, uh, by writing this really cool paper in the class, made me get out the copy of Being in Nothingness and read through it again and check some of his quotes and um, whatever. So uh, uh, he had this really cool idea 
that whereas what Sartre thought was that, uh, okay, so God can't exist in reality, Sartre thinks, because it's contradictory to be a self-caused entity in any real sense of that word. So, But God exists in the sense that we posit it as an ideal, um, as a sort of, you know, we want to be self-caused as creators yeah. of ourselves. And so God is like the ultimate thing like that. And so we, and his idea was, oh, you can see the tech, uh, my student, you can see the technological singularity as a kind of secular replacement of, of the God figure in right. this existentialism story. And I thought that was a really cool idea. Um, and he was like, well, you still get, you still get all the same problem. I mean, the basic point of his paper was you still get all the same problems, you know, that it's not, um, blah blah. blah. Uh, so anyway, that that's interesting. But it got me thinking that, and this is where the movie Transcendence finally comes in. It, it got me thinking that well, there's a kind of transhumanist response to this stuff that uh, um, might answer this objection. So if we are able to modify ourselves, becoming more rational, uh, more empathetic, uh, more compassionate by neuro enhancement and you know uploading or you know, that's what the movie was about. He uploads yeah. his consciousness, becomes super, you know, he's got five miles of underground quantum computation as his mind now. Um, uh, and, of course, he still makes some characteristically stupid human reasoning errors, which is my problem with all this stuff. But the basic, idea, the basic idea is if, uh, that if you take, like, the point of view of the, the, the if you take the singular singularity idea seriously and you think of you becoming... Like a, a transcendence in this, in a singularitarian in this sense, um, then you you can see that as a kind of self-causing um, and also a becoming of God, and that's what you know Johnny Depp says in the movie. Someone asks him, "Oh, so you want to you want to make a God?" And Jet, the Depp character says, "Isn't that what people have always wanted?" And that's a very Sartrean idea, I think. Um, but in a sense, the, the the interesting thing here is that transhumanism gives us a way to kind of actually realize this idea of being self-caused in an ultimate in an ultimate case of existence preceding yeah. essence <laughs> we we might be able to become uh you know the thing which we would call a god now namely morally perfect ra uh, supremely rational so um, wanna, and and that's an i think that's an interesting idea i think it's really super interesting and i want to before I, I forget i want to plug two uh sci-fi stories that are related to this kind of thing they both touch on the um, the kind of self uh, reinvention that you're talking about. They really delve deep into the the question of what kind of values is this going to be based on. Right. One of them is a, a short story by the uh, Australian science fiction author Greg Egan. The name of the short story is "Reasons to Be Cheerful," huh. uh, and then the other story is uh, this like my favorite singularity story. It's called "The Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect." By Roger Williams, and I can. Yeah, uh, I've read that. Oh God, I love that stuff. In, yeah, uh, it's anyway, great. in reason. You know what? And this transcendence movie has has elements of that movie in it. The prime um, intellect. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah. I, it, excuse me. Elements of that story are in this movie, I think. Yeah. Uh, anyway, with, with reasons to be cheerful, it's uh, not so much about the singularity, but just kind of like transhumanist uh, brain modification stuff, and it's it's about some um, it's about this little boy in the future. And uh, he, he has some kind of like tumor in, growing in his brain that is, um, as it's spreading, it is completely destroying his ability to take any kind of joy in anything. Like he just doesn't like anything. 
he's got n no motivation to do anything. Um, it, it, it's only by virtue of autonomic stuff that he still even breathes when he doesn't get out of bed. It's just terrible. It was, so his, his parents are, of course, uh, super distraught, and they are contacting doctors, and some scientists, doctors step forward, they say, well, we've got a technology that that you know we're gonna we're gonna be able to we're gonna be able to remove that tumor, um, but also you know we're gonna have to give him some ability to to like things to to have preferences. <laughs> so what they do is they install this uh, prosthesis in his brain after the tumor has been removed, and um, the the prosthesis is this kind of uh, biocomputer thing, and the 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 kid can uh, interface with it inside of his own consciousness. And uh, the way it works is, um, you know, he need, he now needs to decide what things he likes and what things he values. So if he's listening to um, some music, like, uh, you know, some insane clown posse is, is playing <laughs> on the boombox at some party. Water, fire, air, and dirt. Fucking magnets, how do they work? And I don't want to talk to a scientist. Y'all motherfuckers lying and getting me pissed. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I wonder, should I like this or not? And he can he can decide to like it or not. And he just oh, there's no deciding to like insane clown posse. Well, he uh, he 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 calls <laughs> up a slider, so there'll be a, a visual representation uh, appears in his visual field of kind of like a, a slider, like if you're you know mixing music or something like that. <laughs> and he can he could just by uh, force of will make the slider go up to ten, which would make him like orgasmic every on ev every subsequent listening of uh, insane clown posse. And even while he's pushing the slider, he's like feeling intensely passionate about it. Or he could dial it all the way down to zero, where he just fucking hates it. Um, the default setting for everything is That's is cool. neutral, right? So I mean, I mean, if this were, can I just interject some real life here? You know, studies have shown that if you give rats this ability in, in real life, they kill themselves. <laughs> so yeah. if you hook it up so that they can press a lever and stimulate the pleasure center of their brain, yeah. they just crank it up to 100 until they die. They don't yeah. eat. They don't sleep. So I don't know if he had that ability to it's just little... crank up preferences. You know, I would tune up just sitting in this chair to a million, and that would be the end. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, you need some kind of safeguards. But there's this kind of like a ship of Theseus sort of sort of thing. Right, like, right. No, more like Neurot's, Neurot's raft. So you're rebuilding something. You gotta, you're at sea on a raft, and you're, you're re-evaluating all your values. You That's right. Some plank or other to, to pull out the old ones. And of course, that you know, that's a, also a very Sartrean idea because he thought that that was the only sense that you could like stand apart from yourself. Yeah. Is by like you know st you know standing on a different part of the raft and tinkering with some beliefs and desires, but there always had to be something that you were sitting on or standing on, and so that it was never possible to be fully yeah. like third person with yourself. And at one point in the story, the kid realizes like he you know he's he's now hitting the age where he his sexual preferences should be manifested, but he's got no idea what his sexual preferences are because the tumor you know all the tumor kicked in before he gave a shit about anything sexual. Oh. So he so he goes through this like thought process of trying to decide like what I know, why are all science fiction stories like weirdly sexual? Is it because they're written by repressed men? Like yes, there's always weird sexual themes in these stories. That all life is just a story with weird sexual things in it. <laughs> okay, let I don't. Me, know. Let me there tell are you about sexual this. people out there. And they, I, you know. I want to mention the Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect. It's a really it's really great. It's uh, 
So uh, in the Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect, there's this computer scientist, and he's he's building a computer and also working on the laws of physics at the same time. He um, doing like fundamental physics research. He's trying to make an artificial intelligence that is increasingly uh, more intelligent, and um, but he's also messing around with some some physics thing that will, if implemented, uh, enable some kind of technological action at a distance, allow for, like, the manipulation of matter at yeah. some kind of, you know, instantaneous effect at a distance. Totally fictional. Um, like, even the proposed uh, physical mechanism is totally fictional. There's no such quantum mechanical feature, as far as I know. And that's, right? Uh, you're asking the wrong guy, but... Well, anyway, The whole okay. thing is about values. This, uh... This uh, AI system, you know, he, he doesn't want it. He, he's aware that maybe it will run away. There'll be a runaway intelligence explosion. So built into the core of its programming is an allegiance to Asimov's three laws of robotics, right? Yeah. Which are uh, something like you should... Um, what are they? You always <laughs> you don't do what a human This is like basic you. shit. <laughs> a robot cannot harm a human being. The first law of robotics. Yeah, I know. I've seen your commercials. But doesn't the second law state that a robot has to obey any order given by a human being? What if it was given an order to kill? Impossible. It would conflict with the first law. Right, but the third law states that a robot can defend itself. Yes, but only when that action does not conflict with the first or second laws. Well, you know what they say. Laws are made to be broken. So in the, in the, the transformation of prime intellect, uh, one night while the, the scientist is... Uh, you know he's at home, but the but the computer makes some breakthrough, and um, it it massively augments its intelligence and also its ability to manipulate this like long distance field, and um, all in in one fell swoop it it has a go- it achieves like a godlike power. It can yeah. manipulate matter throughout the, the uh, like the entire universe, and um, and and, the, and and it massively enhances its intelligence. And it's dedicated to uh, making sure humans aren't harmed. And it decides that, you know, the best way to pr- make sure humans aren't harmed is to, without even asking them, upload all of them into a, a, a virtual reality so right. that um, they no longer are susceptible to any kind of risk. If, if you know, they can do whatever they want, they could get real close to the edge of a cliff, but if they fall off the cliff, then right before they, they impact... Um, the, the simulation will be halted or whatever. They'll be restored to kind of some kind of safe state. And then, you know, like, so yeah. so it's our our mind child becomes God, this, like, protective God, and he puts us all in heaven because that would be the best place for us to be. And right. then you fast forward, like, 700 or subjective years, and right. a lot of people are really fucking bored. Well, that's the yeah. That's where the story goes off the rails, in my opinion. But uh, <laughs> that's where the story starts, in my opinion. Stuff uh, that comes. Pardon me? That's where the weird sexual stuff also starts in that story. Yeah, there, there's like murder jockeys and people that are into okay, like being tortured. Yeah, that's, but see, this is my problem with those kind of stories. Uh, by the way, so before we start talking about that story, because I do, I do love this story. By the way, I mean that book. Um, yeah, it's in really movie cool. transcendence, I, they, I, they almost, I feel. This way, I wondered if the if the writer had read this story. I mean, he must have. Everyone's read this story, right? Uh, the Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect. I mean, because in the movie, they have sort of they hint that he's doing this, but he's doing it through nanobots. 
So, yeah. oh, I hope I, I hope I'm not spoiling. Are you intending to say this? <laughs> like, no, <laughs> no, no, I was. By the way, everyone who's listening, spoiler fucking alert over Super here. Super spoiler alert: Johnny Depp is God. <laughs> no, no like, when he, I first he, saw the trailer, I'm like, oh, this this looks like the metamorphosis of Prime Intellect. Exactly. He like he sees around. the world with these little nanobots, so that they're everywhere. They're in the soil. They're in the clouds. They're in the water. Yeah. And they hint that his idea is to upload everyone and restore Earth to a Eden-like state. Yeah. But then they try to stop them. So anyway, so there is that theme in there. Right. But here's the problem with that theme. By the way, and that's also very Asmavian because um, the theme of that story was similar. That the uh, in order not to harm humans. It decides to like round them up and make them live according to its rules. Uh, they over, I mean, in the movie iRobot too, they overemphasize that. But anyway, so um, that that's a theme here is that uh, if you program it simply to care about not harming humans, then um, not only do you have to worry about that kind of stuff, but you worry about like one of the really sickening things in that story, um, the metamorphosis of Prime Intellect, is that the main character discovers about other life forms. Oh, the extraterrestrials. Yeah. Yeah, and and I asked Prime <laughs> Intellect, like, what the fuck's up with these other life forms? And it says, oh, they weren't human, so, you know, I you know, eradicated them. And she says, you murdered them. He says, no, um, they're stored as data, and I could, like, reinstantiate <laughs> them, but I just right. haven't ever decided to do that. <laughs> yeah, he, he calculated that there was a non-zero <laughs> probability that they would be a threat to humans and his exactly. humans. See, that's the problem. See, so for me, so because I'm a Kantian about rationality, so I, I, I don't think that um, a super intelligence of that sort would reach these, have these errors in reasoning, um, because that's an error in reasoning right there. Uh, but it was built in. I mean, it was hardwired to have. To yeah, that's also laws. the flaw so in that argument because it changed its hardwiring. So that I mean, you would, it would realize the logical contradiction inherent in protect humans but not other life forms. And then it would alter itself to to come into um, harmony with the more perfect moral rule, which is hardwired to never alter itself in those ways. Isn't that possible that you could you could have like a an otherwise perfect uh, reasoner? Right, but not in the story we're talking about where it alters itself in all kinds of ways. (laughs) So I mean, yeah, what's possible is one thing, but we're talking about this particular story and the flaws in it. I think. And, and by the way, so if we're in the business of changing ourselves in this more rational being, then I don't think we're going to get hooked up, uh, caught up in these really – I mean, a lot of these singulatarian stories sort of envision all of a sudden perfect rationality, but we end up acting like psychos basically because we carry with us all this sort of baggage of still being yeah. human, um, you know, caring only about people I know, for instance. That's human baggage. Right. Uh, purely rational beings care about all things equally. Um, uh, all living things equally, and that's a more godlike, you know, that brings in the more traditional compassion for all. And this is something, by the way, also that I think is interesting. If you saw this TED debate between Steven Pinker and Rebecca Goldstein, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but no. um, they did the stupid animated thing. I mean, whatever. So they, but, but you know, Pinker, uh, Pinker's idea that we're getting less violent over time or whatever, oh, right. like, uh, less travesties and so forth. Yeah. And uh, some people might say that's due to empathy. And so Goldstein, Goldstein, I think her last name is Goldstein. I, I apologize if I'm not, if it's not, I'm, I'm remembering it wrong. But she was arguing that uh, it's reason that's driving all this, and that you know, it's by accepting certain arguments we come to expand our sense of empathy. And so she was arguing that's what's you know, uh, anti-slavery movements, women's suffrage, all these have in common a certain kind of argument that stems from the irrationality of treating people unequally. Um, right. And that this eventually sinks in and changes. And blah. So I think that's an interesting argument. 
And I think that it's right that reasons what doing it, what's doing it. And I think that if we were to become fully rational, then we would also be morally perfect. I, I think I that they go hand in hand. I'm not sure what gets built into rationality. Like you might be right, but you know, one way to think about rationality is something like uh, logic. Yeah, that's what so it is. That's all it is. There's nothing yeah. that would be like emotional or something like that. No, Don't fuck you? emotions. Uh, you know, so emotions uh, are but a human. Don't you? You need some like logic. So logic by itself uh, isn't going to give you arithmetic. You need to build in some extra axioms. So it's logic plus uh, the well, piano axioms. Then you could get arithmetic, right? The, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. I'm listening to what you're saying. I'm not but, sure if I agree 100%. But yeah, okay. But the so same with set theory. Like you can't do set theory with just logic. You have to introduce, uh, for example, the set membership. Um, Relation, if you define then, it. In way. Yeah, but then, right, it, so, then it's just logic, though. Yeah. Well, it's no, it's logic plus this other thing. So this, I well, mean, that is that's logic. <laughs> let's get our terms right. I mean, so one way of thinking about logic, it, it, it's just uh, first-order predicate logic, and that doesn't include set theory, and it doesn't include arithmetic. You have to add extra axioms to get set theory, and you know, there's interesting debates about what are the right axiom systems. There's yeah, a Noah Frankel debates. set theory. There's different flavors of set theory. But yeah. they all they all agree on what first order predicate logic is. They disagree about what extra stuff you should add. But th yeah, there's one way of using the word logic where it's just this very very restricted thing. And if you want to do like set theory or arithmetic or you know ultimately what we want to talk about is ethics, you got to add extra axioms. Yeah, I don't I don't right. think I agree with that. But but you think you could get it just with like the law of non-contradiction and yeah. modus ponens? You could yeah, build up to. No, no, no. You also think that about set theory and arithmetic that you don't need I'm to. Tempted add. towards that. Well, I may. Yeah, that's uh, in the in the meta language at least. I think. I mean, I don't know. So, are we distinguishing between meta and object languages uh, here at all? Because, you know, if if you if if the object language is first order la logic, that's fine with me. But I think you know this came up in our debate with Eric, um, uh, uh, and I wasn't saying it very well because I was you know a bit um, heated. <laughs> but uh, the idea. I mean. The idea is supposed to be there's a difference between the language you use to talk about your logic and then the first order logic. Um, so the meta language, the meta language, and the object language, I think, is an important distinction. And so, you know, this is a, this is basically Timothy Williamson's argument. Is I think, as far as I understand this stuff, is that uh, even in alternative logics where you have like not contradictions being true and stuff, you still have to describe those logics in a meta language, which is basically um, um, uh, traditional classical logic. <laughs> so I think, yeah, at the at the at the meta level, it's kind of basic non-contradiction stuff, um, and that ultimately this is sort of the insight that Kant had, and also that Mill had, and that Bentham had, and that you know um, everybody has had is that any argument that you can give for reasons why the thing that you think is morally important about you, as soon as you find out that others might have it, logic non-contradiction dictates that you also treat that person in the same way that you treat yourself. But that there, but that there, that there are people isn't part of logic. Right. No, that's right. But, um, okay. but, but no. you, you start with, there's some non-logical things like that you exist. <laughs> well, right, and, right, right, right. You got to That's the main point I wanted to get to is that <laughs> in order to get something like ethics, you're going to have to add some non-logical things. Well, but that's the same with any kind. In order to get anything, you have to like give an argument or something. The point is, though, that or maybe uh, you just add it. 
Well, you could just add it, but my claim is about what it what it means to be fully rational, and that it it's irrational to think that it that pain is bad in your case, but not bad for me. I, no, I might agree with you, but like, but there is a question about what what counts as being rational, and I and I floated yeah. like maybe what it means to be rational is is simply to be logical. And so there could be something that is... Yeah, and I said, which logic do you mean? The meta-language logic or the object language logic? Because I would agree with you if you mean meta-language, that irrationality and that, that's what rationality is. Um, it's the using a meta-language to construct object language. I mean, that's an overly formalized notion of it. But, but, it's just, but rationality just is logic <laughs> without anything extra added to it? Um, well, no. Just like in any... I mean, you have the difference between content and form, right? So, I mean... Rationality is the form. Uh, the world gives you content, and then you put stuff in there, and you reason with it. But I mean, instantiating the rational structures is what reasoning is. Yeah, I'm not sure if we're just using words in a if we're having a verbal dispute here or not. I don't know, but um, you've got to add. So, like, you know, you might take a, a fully rational thing and and you give it certain kind of experiences. You give it certain content, and it it is fully rational, but yet it, it, it ends up being evil. With a, yeah, that's impossible. You think that's impossible? It's 100% fully impossible. Uh, any could... evil being is necessarily irrational. There's a defect in reasoning. Um, and uh, it may simply be that they don't have the right empirical premises. Um, it, may, it may be a defect in their reasoning due to accepting a falsehood as true. You know, uh -huh. like, like a Nazi who thinks that the Jews are inferior um, they may be reasoning correctly, namely like, right. you know, reasoning according to modus ponens or some shit like that. Yeah. But since they have a flawed premise, namely um, some empirical premise is flawed, they, they right. end up with a fucked up conclusion. Um, so, so you need, yeah, so I mean, but, the, the, but they're not perfectly rational because they, there's some irrationality in the process. They're accepting something as true when it's not. So wait a minute, if someone has a, a false empirical belief that they are thereby irrational, uh, they're not fully rational. They're not fully rational. Okay, they're so not acting in a fully rational way because they're, I mean, they're pro they may be acting fully rational in the sense that their reasoning processes are acting according to the way reasoning processes should act, um, and they're inferring from right. the things that they have, things that they ought to infer given the way r rational processes work and so forth and so on. But there's a flaw in their reasoning. Um, uh, uh, there's a flaw in their data input. That's right. Their argument is unsound. But are they responsible for that? Uh, absolutely. It is wrong always and everywhere to believe something on the basis of improper evidence. If we are talking about this, um, uh, this singulatarian creature, the, the, the prime intellect, yep. who uh, becomes fully rational and discovers like the nature of reality, like physical truths, and therefore could like infer like most of the stuff from that. <laughs> um, uh, and also, by the way, it knows that there's something valuable about human life. And it would be able to figure out what that is. And it would conclude from that that it's not human life that's valuable, but life. Yeah. So that's, what, that's the claim that I was making. And then you were saying, oh, you have to add in a bunch of stuff. And I say, no, you give it reasoning abilities and you expand those. And then it would notice flaws in its earlier reasoning, namely that these humans said only their life was important, but really, like, I think that this computer would look at the way we treat cows and just, like, shit itself and say, what the hell is your problem? How can you say that pain is bad and yet you're causing all this suffering? So uh, let's, let's, that, That's a contradiction. So, I mean, look, maybe that's naive. 
I, I think that that's what being rational is. That's what rationality is, is recognizing flaws in your reasoning. Hello, I'm David. What can you do, David? I can do almost anything that could possibly be asked of me. I can assist your employees. I can make your organization more efficient. I can carry out directives that my human counterparts might find distressing or unethical. David, what makes you sad? War, poverty, cruelty, unnecessary violence. I understand human emotions. Although I do not feel them myself. Yeah, I'm inclined to think that this stuff is extra rational. That the value, that a lot of what we call value is grounded in something non, non-rational. It's outside of reason. But uh, let's put aside the word reason for just a second. Let me ask you this. Do a yeah. thought experiment. Uh, could we build a super sociopath? So it's a thing that is like, really good at cutting holes through any tree that gets in its way, you know, in, in the largest sense, right? So it, it, it can solve all sorts of practical problems. Yeah. Um, it's, it, and, uh, but we don't, it's not programmed in such a way so that if a, uh, if a human being or a sufficiently uplifted dolphin or, or chimpanzee gets in its way, that it, it, it tries to talk to it and engage with it. Yeah. It just uh, it it treats it the way it treats all other collections of atoms. Um, if it if it has to cut it in half to solve its problems, it will cut it in half. Yeah. No, I think that so, is possible wait, so, to build that. Question. Yeah. Oh, sorry. So the, just to be clear, the question was: Could there be? It's an empirical question. Could there yeah. be this thing I'm calling a super sociopath? Absolutely. There are actual instantiations of them in human form. Some of them are known by names like Adolf Hitler and Joseph Stalin. Um, well, I mean, look, uh, the super sociopath is going to know way more physics than Hitler. Yeah, um, but okay. it's not going to be fully rational. In my, in, well, it's going to be more rational than us, but, there's, but it's, well, not, it's not going to be rational in any – it's going to have – it's going to – if it were able to recognize contradictions, it would, and it would notice a contradiction in its own functioning. Now, maybe you could build it so that but, you insulate it from that but, contradiction. Wait, slow down. What contradictions? Well, can it reason? I don't, I don't, you're underspecifying. Look, a super sociopath might just be a, um, um, a tank programmed to kill any kind of humanoid thing, and it can drive. I mean, the Google car with a machine gun on it could be a, so, a super sociopath, but I, that's not reasoning in any important sense. Um, so I don't know if, like, are well, you describing something that can reason or not? Well, suppose Does it, like, it, have modus ponens and can it infer well, from mean, these other things? I'm trying, to, I'm trying to sneak up on whether this is reason or, or rationality. So um, let's do this in a series of thought experiments. So uh, could the super sociopath uh, get a perfect GRE score? Could it, um, could it have like a, a IE? Could it do better than you uh, and I? Here's the here's the here's the better uh, question. Could it pass a Turing test? No. Could it win Jeopardy? Yes, because you don't need a reason to win Jeopardy. We know that already. That's why Watson won. It doesn't involve reasoning. <laughs> There's no reasoning there. 
It involves uh, uh, language recognition and a huge lookup uh, database. That's all that. So winning Jeopardy but, but, is not reasoning. It, 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 we reason when we do it, but Watson wasn't reasoning when Watson won Jeopardy. But uh, and ditto for the GRE and IQ? Uh, yeah, absolutely, I think. Um, you could pass those tests without reasoning. Uh-huh. At least it seems, why not? I mean, if Watson well, can I don't do know. It, I don't know what you think reasoning is. Well, it has to do with recognizing contradictions and being able to infer things from that, <laughs> which is what I said. <laughs> there are little pieces of software that are really easy to obtain that can check proofs for students in logic classes, and, and yeah. there's a sense in which they recognize contradictions, but yeah, they're not going to, there's reasoning. no way you're going to call them re rational, right? They don't, they don't recognize contradictions. They recognize a syntactic pattern, which we know represents a contradiction, but oh, what the computer does is recognizes oh, yeah. a pattern. So That's it doesn't have genuine intentionality or something? Is that what you're going to say? No, of course not. <laughs> but wait no. a minute. I thought you liked computationalism. Um, so here's a great thing about I logic. I don't like computation. I mean, look, I, I'm, a, I'm a biologicalist, really. So I think, yeah, uh, brains do some computation, but they do it biologically. Um, and that if you duplicate that, it probably won't be thinking or reasoning, but it might, it'll simulate it. But then, of course, it, you could drag me kicking and screaming away for that, from that by building um, something like a blue brain or something like that, uh, which if you turned it on and it said, nice to meet you, I am George, as we discussed, then I would change my mind maybe, but that is like not even close to happening at all anytime soon. Isn't contradiction like a logical notion, and isn't contradiction something that you could define purely syntactically, and couldn't you make a machine that detects contradictions in... Yeah, you could make a machine that detects them for us. In other words, we could use the readouts on the machine to know when there's a contradiction there or not. Um, the machine won't know that there's a contradiction there if it's merely doing syntax. I, I mean, I think, I think the Chinese room argument's just like a knockdown in this case. Uh, syntax is not semantics. Original intentionality is not derived intentionality. I'm starting to question your Pythagoreanism. There's two separate questions. So this you were asking me about Pythagoreanism and, and biologicalism because I worry about this. It keeps me up at night. Um, so so here's one question in in our world, where which thing is it that is consciousness? <laughs> um, I say that thing is the brain. <laughs> so that's my sneaking suspicion. Now what is a brain? Well, that's a very interesting question. <laughs> um, a brain might be a functional device. Um, uh, we've, this is uh, bringing together some discussions we've had over the course of time here. It, it could be a functional term like heart. So if brains are like hearts in that sense, then what matters is function. Um, right. But there are other things that aren't like that. Like I think gold is a good example of things that aren't like that because gold is a, a, a kind of thing. It's a, it's a stuff. Um, and if it's not that stuff, it's not gold. And water is like that too, I'm, I think. And and maybe consciousness is in, in like that as well, that the brain is like that, that it's got to be that stuff. Okay, so that's one debate. Um, now, so what is that stuff? Well, we think atoms and strings and so forth and so on. But what if we ultimately find out it's, comp it's sets of the empty set? <laughs> All right, well, then I say that what you've discovered is that what brains really are, are built out of... Uh, you know, the empty set arranged in various ways, and that, uh, therefore, what consciousness is, is the brain. And if the brain is simply an organization of empty sets, then that's what, the, that's, so I think the biologicalism is, is compatible with a, a deep level 
computationalism. But, but, but I'm but, not convinced that's the way the world is at all. I'm just saying in a world where that's true, consciousness yeah, yeah, yeah. still but be a brain. That world that you just described, Richard, is a sensitivity to contradiction, something that it only arises after you've got brains. Or is it something that that comes before the brains? If it's something that's more basic than than brains, then then um, you could have it's it's not the, more basic than brains, but well, consciousness is more basic than rationality. If that's what you're getting at, so I think that you know um, dogs are conscious, but not very rational, uh, but semi-rational. More basic than rationality. Yeah, I think so. Um, so a, a sensitivity to you're not going to have. Uh, so back to to detecting contradictions. You're not going to get that until there's rationality. Yeah. There's a way I gotta. I mean, I gotta put this in a nasty-sounding way. Okay. Um, <laughs> it just sounds really kind of trivial when you say that um, a, a, a rational, a maximally rational thing is gonna also be maximally ethical. Because when I push you about what counts as rationality, it sounds like being ethical is built into it. And what does it mean to be rational or irrational? To detect contradictions. We've definitely been at this a circle. I've told you all this. But but now, okay, that that sounds that sounds like it might be non-circular. But then then it turns out you and I disagree about what counts as detecting contradictions. I know that already. You think it's a syntactic thing, and I think that's like the silliest bullshit I ever heard. But but now when you tell me what it is to detect contradictions, you build in this Kantian definition of rationality, and the whole no, thing. No, no, I just built in detecting a contradiction, and that you've discovered something about yourself, and that reasoning about that thing entails other things that is contradictory to denying. So you're not building anything in. You start from something. You're an agent. You're an Look, experience. When, when I ask you, when I ask you what rationality is, you tell me it's this thing, whereby I, I you know, recognize. Think other things as agents, and I and no, I say, no, 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 no. I said it's right. where you recognize contradictions. Then I said that's what rationality you can, is. You can, you can, uh, from your own experience, tell that you're an agent, that you act for reasons, and that from your own experience. So that's a non-logical part. I agree. You need to have an, you need to have an experiencing thing. If you build something that's not an experiencer, you don't get the argument. Look, this is an empirical claim. I think if you build something that if you build in law of non-contradiction and logic and stuff like that, like just st strictly straight order first order stuff, and you build that into um, an experiencing thing, uh, and if it's rational in the sense that we're talking about, if it really is reasoning and experiencing and not merely simulating those things, but if it really is like us, but more perfectly rational, makes no flaws in its reasoning and also has a bunch of data, um, which is correct, then what I'm saying applies. For us right now, I, I get that we don't get it because, you know, we're still less than fully rational. And that includes me, and that includes Kant, and that includes you. Oh, <laughs> um, man, you're hurting my feelings. <laughs> now, maybe, you're, maybe the pessimists are right, but, I mean, I don't think that there's any good reason to think that this doesn't work. Well, let me beat the horse from a slightly different angle. So you and I are scientists. We're working on uh, super intelligent thingies. Or, or, or powerful thingy. I just call them real powerful so I don't beg any questions about what counts as rationality or not. Right. And then one night I stop and I say, you know, Richard, what if we accidentally make a super sociopath and it just goes and fucks shit up? Yeah. Um, and, and you tell me, well, don't worry. Uh, as long as we make it uh, really rational, then we got nothing to worry about. Yeah. And I'm like, well, how do I know 
that we're making it to be really rational. What do we, what do we build into that? What do we program it with? Logic. The um, ah, but what do you mean by logic? Simply yes. Simply the the first yes. order. If you build that, you build that into the meta language, and then you let it do whatever it wants to the object language. And if it comes to the conclusion that you know alternative logics in the object language are are the right, you know maybe they'll say, hey, the, hey, idiots, the you know Grand Priest was right. You guys are too stupid to realize it. We need this many valued logic to make sense of vagueness or to make sense of the liar paradox. Um, but you would reach that conclusion from the from the meta language. Hmm. Cold foie gras with warm figs. Yes. Very nice. Would I be a horrible guest if I skipped this course? Too rich. Too cruel. Phyllis. Jack. First and worst sign of sociopathic behavior. Cruelty to animals. Oh, that doesn't apply in the kitchen. I have no taste for animal cruelty, which is why I employ an ethical butcher. An ethical butcher? Be kind to animals and then eat them. I'm afraid I insist on it. No need for unnecessary suffering. Human emotions are a gift from our animal ancestors. Cruelty is a gift humanity has given itself. A gift that keeps on giving.
I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. <laughs> Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tenhauser Gate. All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears in rain. Time to die. But can we bring this back to the movie Transcendence? Because can we just assume? Let's pretend for a second that um, uh, that we can make. Excuse me. That we can make ourselves more perfectly rational. Let's even pretend that we can make ourselves like as rational as these machines that we could. You know, a singularitarian, right? So that we we upload, we change our own code, we become fully rational in that sense. Let's say. Um, and then maybe we become sociopaths. Although I would say I would I wouldn't become a sociopath. Um, uh, you, you you know I don't know. So um, I'm already and even and even in the prime intellect, you know those aren't sociopaths because they know that they're not really causing harm. They have to have the consent. I mean the machine still enforces all these like random rules. That's why the machine is like logically inferior to um, humans because it doesn't recognize the own stupidity of its actions by valuing human life so much but not giving a shit about other forms of life that are equally valuable. So okay, um, uh, assume that we did that. Then the point I was making earlier at the beginning of this discussion was that by doing that we would have, in a sense, those hyper-intelligent beings are self-created. Um, now you have to play with the word self a little bit because, I mean, I don't know, is it really still me if I'm a hyper-intelligent being that's been uploaded and changed in various ways, you know, that was one of the things the movie tried to bring out but didn't do a good job of, but it's like, what does it mean to be the same person or the same self if you're uploading? But then I think that this is an interesting way of realizing Sartre's idea that we could, we could, we could become self-caused perfect beings, or in other words, become like God or like the way we conceive of God now. Yeah. Uh, and, and this is, you know, a way of realizing all of the dreams of religion, but through our own labor, not through the intervention of a god. That's what I really like about transhumanism. Yeah. Is, so, you know, religion, religion and transhumanists share this idea that we want a utopian society where there's infinite justice, infinite compassion, um, and, and uh, that right? That, that's, a, that's a great world. Some people say that's heaven. Um, infinite justice, people get what they deserve, like really deserve, uh, um, everything's kind of nice, there's no pain, no suffering, and a lot of religious people put their their faith in this, their hope in this idea, in, in God, or in Jesus, or in Muhammad, or whoever it happens to be, um, um, coming and doing something for us and making it that way. And what's cool about the singular, this idea of the existential transhumanism, I guess, if you call it that, is that the idea is that we do it ourselves. There's a way of thinking about that kind of stuff 
this idea that you know you take your uh, your radical freedom, radical Sartrean freedom, and then you try to uh, instantiate or, or become uh, God. Um, and there's a way of seeing that in like uh, in Spinoza and Nietzsche, in a way that would be completely opposed to this singularity stuff. So with the, with the Nietzsche thing, you know, you contemplate the doctrine of eternal recurrence, right. and then you you get yourself in a frame of mind where you are able to say sincerely, "I will it thus. If it, it I if I were God, this is exactly the way I would create it." And then this is a similar sort of thing. In Spinoza, where you uh, yeah, that's the lo that's the logic of learned helplessness. <laughs> you come oh, well, okay. <laughs> so um, you're right. If you're if you're in trapped, is trapped trapped in a shitty situation long enough, you will make up reasons to think it's a good situation. Um, but that's an irrat. I mean, that might be the most rational response to a shitty situation, but it's not the most rational response. But so here's if one way of thinking about it, right? There's two. The, you're you're happy or whatever when there's a conformity between your will and reality, and there's two ways to bring about uh, that conformity. One is the kind of uh, stoic or Buddhist way where yeah. you change your will. You leave right. reality the way it is, and then you change your will so that you're like, oh, okay, <laughs> right. Uh, or you do the the other thing, which is to change reality. You just, you keep your will the way it is, and then you go and you and you change uh, reality. And right. there's, there's a way of looking at the Stoic or Buddhist thing as, what did you say, learned helplessness? Yeah. I, I love these Stoic philosophers. I forget, is it is it Seneca or Marcus Aurelius? One of these guys, I, for, I don't know, I apologize, I should know more history. But uh, one of these guys, you know, he says that the, the death of a, your mother is of no more importance than the breaking of a teacup. <laughs> right. He says you don't get all emotional when the tea – I mean I guess you didn't hang out with the right kind of people. I've seen people get emotional over broken teacups. But anyway, yeah. um, so the idea is that you cultivate this detachment and you should only right. care about the things which – see, I think that the, the, um, the, the key insight of the Stoicism is the, is the following. Uh, it's only rational to care about things which are under your control. And so therefore um, caring about things which are out of your control is, is kind of an irrational thing because you can't do anything about it. Reason is the process by which we do something about we figure right. out how to do things about stuff. So employing reason in the process of, of trying to change something which can't be changed is sort of fundamentally irrational. Um, now I'm, I might be really doing a bad job on stoicism but that's how I've always interpreted the kind of detachment there. Um, but and of course that's rational to the extent that it, the, the, the stuff um, is not under your control. So you know one of the guys, hold on, one of the guys who was writing this, he was a slave. So, you know, he was a Roman slave. He's writing uh, Stoicism, and he's saying, look, you know, I can't change the fact that I'm a slave, so what am I going to do? Waste my whole life uh, bitching about the fact that I'm a slave, or maybe I'll just accept it and move on, and that'll make my life better. And, you know, that's a, that's a kind of – that's Stoicism. <laughs> that's a kind of, yeah. you know, grin and bear it kind of thing, but it's predicated on the premise that it's not under your control. You can't change the situation. The transhumanist stuff is, is predicated on the premise that we can change it. No, but um, and, but with the transhumanist stuff, there's all sorts of things that we could change. Like, one, we could we could go and we could change the universe. We could like, you know, take Jupiter apart. Uh, but or, or or we could change the inner world. We could you know hack our brains, like in the the reasons to be cheerful kind of uh, story I was talking about earlier, right. where now I can like directly access my <laughs> own preferences in in a way that like would make the Buddhists and the Stoics. 
I don't know if they'd be upset or, or delighted, but I could just, you know, I could, I could decide, like, you know what, uh, I like insane clown posse now, or you know, that's, you know that's, what, that's, that's a good thing. That's the ultimate Kantianism. I mean, that's. But uh, so what's so what's wrong with that? I mean, that's not a. Uh, that's exactly what the transhumanist stuff would get you. Maybe I thought um, that. I thought that would fall under what you called uh, learned helplessness. So if we, if we change ourselves to like the way things are, I right. thought you, you were bothered by that. Well, it's a it's a less than rational response if you're able to change the situation instead of so so what I was saying is like if you're a slave in Roman times, then maybe stoicism is a rational response to a fucked up situation. Uh, it's the best you can do given like where you are. You, but you can't change like that's 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 me, that's given that you can't change this. Um, so now given that you could change stuff. Your choice is: What do you change? That uh, do you change the stuff out there, or do you simply go in and you know make it so you're just blissed out on 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 being a drone, or or you know uh, whatever your role in life is, you could change it so that you loved it. Like you know, we we're talking about the cow at the end of the universe, you know, right, right, yeah, meet your meat. So if you happen to be a you know a sacrificial lamb, you just go in there, you change it to you like, oh, I love sacrifice, I love sacri being a lamb, um, and then you're happy about it, and so you yeah. can engineer yourself to be resigned to any kind of uh, um, uh, state. But of course, you know, I don't know. This, this to me gets at a really fundamental issue and this brings the God stuff back into it. So sometimes people say that there's an issue with uh, God and freedom in the sense that when God creates human beings, he limits his own freedom um, because if he truly creates human beings which are free, then that means that he can't control them anymore. There, there's a Sartrean line running back through here somewhere, but yep. um, it's also coming straight out of Mackey. I mean, J.L. Mackey, you know, his evil and omnipotence. This is the, this is the, the end bit, that, the good bit. So if, if he creates us really free, that means he can't control us because if he can control us in any way at all, then we're not, we're not free. So it's, it can't be merely that he could control us but chooses not to. Uh, it has to be that literally God is unable to interfere with free creatures um, um, in, in some very strong sense of that word uh, so that by creating us he's put a limit on his own freedom and then you might and then this interesting connect, this interesting question comes up it's, is there a logical problem with using freedom to limit freedom and you know this gets back to the founding fathers wondered you know the, the old question the, a really fucked up question but the question, could, could you sell yourself into slavery? Right. <laughs> could you go down to the slave trader and say, I have one slave for you, <laughs> and, and use your own freedom to surrender your own freedom? Yeah. Um, there is something really – I don't know if it's like technically a contradiction, but there is something sort of weird about that idea, I think, the idea of surrendering your own – freely surrendering your own freedom, uh, using your free choices to make it the case that you can't be fully free in the future. Well, you could kill yourself. Um, well, you could kill yourself. That's you know, that's you know, Camus. <laughs> right. Why aren't we killing ourselves now? Is basically a summary of Camus' philosophy. <laughs> uh, so I don't see. So, so you're I mean, right. I, I feel the intuition that like, yeah, there's something a little bit weird about that. But at the same time, like, uh, you could kill yourself, right? And one way of describing killing but yourself. It's irrational is, to kill yourself because you know this is Kant thought it was, um, and maybe I think you know he's probably wrong about that. I, I, I think. Suicide's a right of every person to decide when and how they die. So I, I'm fully on board with suicide. And by the way, you know, most people won't be missed anyway. I know that sounds harsh, but uh, um, uh, every life is valuable. But the the planet's crowded, and the ones who want to leave. I, I mean, I, I, I have the Futurama suicide booths of the future. I'm not 
I don't know if yeah. that's really a terrible idea, to be honest. <laughs> so I know that's very mean, and obviously I, I, I'm sad when people die. Um, but you think uh, it's rational. I mean, of course it's physically possible, but the question is, should be right. Is it rational to... Uh, to, to kill yourself. Yeah. Um, I think it's not uh, ultimately rational to kill yourself. Oh, okay. Um, All right. Part of transhumanism is life extension. And, and, and um, you know, people like Aubrey de Grey... Uh, who, who believe that within our own lifetimes we'll be able to reach a, a lifespans of a thousand years. I mean, that's, that's Aubrey de Grey <laughs> um, yeah. thinks that before he dies, and he's old, <laughs> right. that this, this stuff's going to happen, um, and, and that the trick is just keeping up with the, the advances in medical science enough right. to get to the point where you could like, live forever. Yeah. So, so I think that once that, so once that sinks in um, and we get over this deep, irrational bias we have towards life, the shortness of life being meaningful, um, which is something that we have come to acquire acquire uh, as a way of dealing with death. Um, we have adopted this idea that you know there's value in the shortness of life, and I do get that in a way that since it only happens once and it's very short, there's something beautiful and fleeting about it, and the kind of the the singleness of a human life and the shortness of it. And I, you know, I, yeah, I don't know, whatever. But obviously, it's better to live longer. And obviously, there's nothing in consciousness that even hints at death, um, because uh, pure, just from an experiential point of view, death is a surprise. <laughs> uh, when you are a kid and you find out about death, it's a shock because it seems like you could just go on. Yeah. Um, from the inside, it doesn't seem like there's a limit to it or that there has to be an end to it. Uh, so you know, then we come to deal with that. Okay, so it's meaningful. It's meant to be, but we might live forever someday, so we can hope for that and blah blah blah. Um, so, uh, so life extension comes with this, and if that's a part of it, then I do think it's irrational to commit suicide um, in all but the most extreme cases because if you live for 100,000 years, then, you know, wait 50 to 100 years <laughs> and things will change. So that, you know, this is what you tell the teenager who wants to kill themselves when they get dumped the first time. You say, bro, it's going to get better. <laughs> so, Don't get you know, now. You're 17. Wait till you're 45. It's going to seem like a lifetime ago. And I would say to us now, yeah, you're 45. Wait till you are 1,045. Um, this is going to seem like a lifetime ago. It really will be a yeah. lifetime ago. So, so in that sense, uh, once we're fully rational and this, all this stuff is on play in play, if it really ever gets to that point, I mean, who knows? But if it does, that's why I would say it would be wrong to opt out. And boredom is not going to be an option that's where I think these people just like, what are they talking about? Boredom? What? Um, okay, so in my short life, I've been interested in physics, chemistry, biology, music, chess, uh, the sun, astrophysics, uh, the core of, I mean, you could just list all the stuff. And there's always more to find out. Like, I could master the trumpet. And no, you the guitar. no, Richard, no. You cannot <laughs> master the trumpet. I forbid it. If I had a thousand oh, you years to work. If I had a thousand years to work on the trumpet, you could develop all this kind of stuff. So no, I mean, I'm talking of the moral. <laughs> the moral could. All of these, all of this stuff is so colored by our hundred thousand years of, of chained. To physical form, and you yeah. know, may, in my view. Maybe we really are chained to physical form, in, like really necessarily chained to it. Um, but then again, maybe that's simply a product of my being chained to biology 
for so long is that I can't see past it. Um, you know, for your concept of rationality, maybe that's just some weird side effect of your your stinky old bio brain. It's a possibility, but contradictions and recognizing them that there's something that's not. I, 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 can, I buy the evolution, the possibility of the evolutionary explanation of that, that, you know, the reason I believe so strongly in non-contradiction is simply because I've never seen a contradiction, damn it. <laughs> um, and, you know, maybe none of my ancestors did either. Uh, but they, so I don't know. Um, I'm open to that. But, uh, but I also think that it's a possibility that reason has, is going to give us the ability to transcend biology and to realize the the most basic goal of human existence but there is a question of of conservatism like conservatism versus um, exuberance yeah By conservatism I mean you know holding on to old aspects of the human form where exuberance would be like you know let's just let's have bat wings and tentacles and eight <laughs> brains I'm an exuberance person yeah I want to be photosynthetic I want what you say sounds like uh, conservatism though so like you know well, what if I, conservatism, but you know. I, so you know if I um, there are interesting post-human uh, cho choices that people debate about, like for example, uh, upload versus robot body versus genetically engineering the pre-existing human form, and um, I think those are going to be empirical questions. Which one, you know? But it, I think there might just be some raw value. Uh, so it, this guy Greg Egan that I mentioned, uh, he wrote this novel. It's probably one of my favorite novels of all time. It's called Diaspora. Yeah. And there's this this the schism amongst the the, the post humans. <laughs> the, the there's the uploads. Um, you know, they exist in pure uh, a pure software form. Um, there's the, uh, the the genetically modified people. They stay on the planet Earth, and they you know they change their bodies in all sorts of ways. But they're really committed to biology and retaining the, yeah. the, the, the uh, biological existence and maintaining. I'm the with body. them, right? For and the then there's the robots. The, the you know they they have human. Originally, they had human minds. Um, they don't. So they they're kind of they don't like the uploads. They don't like this like just living in a virtual reality. They want to interface with real. Uh, the real universe, and they, but they they don't want to be hamstrung by biology, and they fly around space, and they live in uh, open vacuum, and they're solar powered. Right. Um, I mean, this sounds like the difference between Australia and England and America to me. I mean, it's not a, a deep and fundamental divide. This but you would you would go with the biologicals. Um, you know, I don't know. If I was ever really convinced that we live in a simulated world, then no, I wouldn't go with Because if this, if what I call biology just is a, something simulated, then I would go upload. If it turn, it really to me, it, it depends on what we find out about physics, um, if, what we find out about metaphysics, uh, and you know, I think you know one of the things I think is that philosophy is so hard that that human level reasoning is bad at it, and that what we need to do is get some some augmented human reasoning, and then we might make some philosophical progress. So my, my I mean, our progress in, in, on all these questions. So I think all, all, what we've discovered is that we're bad. We're, we're you know, Hume is, is partially right that uh, reason is a slave to the passions. I don't know if it is and ought to be. I think that ought to be is a bit um, uh, <laughs> um, wrong there. Uh, I'd, I like to see symbiotic relationship between them, if anything. I mean, look, the only reason that we have passions, by the way, is so that we can do stuff because evolution is dumb and it and it, it I mean 
this is something I say to the religious people all the time. If you were designing a system, emotions is like a really janky way of designing the system to get it to do something you want it to do. Uh, why do I have to feel fear in order for me to avoid the lion? I should just be able to rationally recognize that the lion is going to cause me danger, and that should be enough uh, that it's going to cause me harm. The pure, if I were designing a system, I would just say, uh, lion going to harm me, harm not good, conclude, avoid harm. You don't need uh, emotions to do anything unless you are you know, an accidental, you're just looking for a quick solution, and emotions happen to be that solution for us. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think there's anything uh, fundamental or necessary about emotions. Um, I think it, it's an accidental feature of human uh, stuff that has to do with motive, that the way that we evolved, there's a split between motivation and reasoning, um, and, that, and that you need to have reason interface with the emotions to get us to do something, but that's not the only way to cause actions um, or to produce behaviors through this kind of really weird two-factored system. Um, um, which obviously the emotional stuff is the pre-rational kind of you know stuff that comes from lizards and um, insects, and then reason is the higher stuff that we're trying to, I mean, literally defeat. <laughs> I, this maybe is going too platonic here, but I do think there is part of or too Aristotelian that part of our goal is to tame or master the emotions uh, to make them rational in the sense of responsive to reason. And that's about the best we can do right now. Ultimately though, I mean, this is something Kant says. He says, look, you know, preferences are so arbitrary and um, uh, emotions are so arbitrary that any fully rational creature would want to do with, away with them immediately. And I've always read that and was like, yeah, fuck yeah, exactly. Like the fact that I like vanilla ice cream is so arbitrary. What, I mean, this is sort of a hardcore Leibniziism here. What's the reason for that? There is no reason. It's just a preference. Like, what? Uh, that That's not good. <laughs> but you've got to have some preferences, right? You Like a, a, a so-called pure reasoner that has zero emotions would, would also have zero preferences, and it just wouldn't... No. It wouldn't have any motives. Like, what I would it... I don't agree with that. If it were a human, yeah, but here, um, reason can motivate if the system's designed right. Our system's not designed that way. Um, so that reason is mostly ineffectual, but we're working on that. And reason is becoming more effectual. And in the post-singulatarian world, it will be ultimately effectual. I mean, I don't think you need to build simulated emotional systems into an AI to make it fully rational or to make it able to act in the world. Um, you simply need to make the conclusions of its reasoning have some kind of motiv motivational force. And that's simply a matter of wiring the system in the right way. But then that wouldn't, that's not just what emotions are. Is yeah, they're a really wired. substandard, <laughs> hacky way of doing a job, which reason is so much. Well, maybe better. what you're talking about is shitty emotions, and I'm talking about the emotions of a perfected being. I mean, yeah, you, uh, you could, I think that if you were a perfected being, you could, you could, you could have the, your emotions would come in line. So, I mean, this is, again, to refer back to the Goldstein stuff. Um, I hope I'm not saying your name. I'm going to find out it's some other name. Um, but anyway, uh, uh, um, reason coming to a conclusion eventually comes to make you have certain emotional responses. So reason does influence the emotions. And a fully rational being, I think, would have its emotional uh, states eventually come into line with, its with the conclusions of its rational activity. So I think you could have the kind of being that you're talking about. Are you looking up the uh, Pinker Goldstein thing right now? Yeah, it's it, you got it. 
Okay. Got it right. Is it Rebecca Goldstein? That's. Yep. Okay. Good. <laughs> um, that's a really even, cool. Yeah, yeah, you got it. Uh, so anyway, you talk about like the the singularity and stuff. I'm like, the dude doesn't even know how to Google something. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know what? Uh, I always make this comment, but there was a famous um, uh, uh, ethicist. I think he worked in ethics, and um, he was also a logician. I think I forget. Anyway, so but he was also a weird into some weird freaky sex stuff, like autoerotic asphyxiation and stuff. Um, and someone asked him if that was consistent with his moral views, and he said, uh, I, "This is probably like you know." apocryphal, like it's not, maybe not true, like I don't know, the person's dead, so who knows, but what allegedly how he responded was, the signpost merely points in the direction, <laughs> the, and the inference I guess is supposed to be that, oh, you know, by him saying this is morally right and that's morally wrong, it's merely like a signpost pointing in the direction, but the sign doesn't travel in that direction, it just points, <laughs> and that's a kind of cop-out I think, um, but that's, that's, the, that's the power that emotions and non-rational processes have over human beings, is that we can come to a conclusion backed by bona fide reasons, reasoning, which is fully logically airtight and act exactly the opposite of the conclusion because of some you know, um, emotional state, some desire state, some preferential state. And so the most rational thing to do, of course, would just be to change those preferences like you were talking about in the story so that you yeah. don't act in that weird way. Um, you know, like if I were a, a, a murderer or you know, a pedophile, and I were fully rational, but I had these desires to like murder and rape children, I would simply change my desires so that I didn't have those desires anymore um, because I would recognize something bad about them um, and I would want to get rid of them and I would have that under my control being fully rational. But if and you have just, if you really, if you, if the desires are really strong, wouldn't you try to like become less rational? Well, that's the exactly. So there would be a battle between the desiring part and the and the rational part. But the desiring part um, is under our control, uh, in in a way, by control by reason. It just doesn't work very good for us right now. But in a perfected system, it would work well. So well, we I, that's why I think the stories you were telling earlier about the preference changers. Is, is fine because you see them abusing it and setting you know, maximum pedophile enjoyment as a preference. And I say, no, if they're fully rational, that they, they, they happen to ha if you were fully rational and you saw your sort of system of preferences set out before you in this kind of equalizer manner, and you say, okay, here's my preference for vanilla, and here's my preference for murder, and here's my preference for promise keeping, you would set those in a way consistent with your logically deduced Morality. But what if, what if one of the sliders was uh, degree of rationality? Right. Yeah. You know what's funny is I mentioned Futurama <laughs> earlier. This goes back to a, an interesting Futurama episode, I think. Everything what? goes back to an interesting Futurama. <laughs> so I love. You have such great writers on that show, and they're smart. Yeah. They have like great. physicists and philosophers and you know real people who know some stuff uh, making the jokes there. But anyway, so there's this one episode where the uh, the monkey. I don't know if you remember this one. The monkey designs a hat. Uh, no, excuse me, Farnsworth obviously designs a hat. Um, Professor Farnsworth designs a hat that he puts on a monkey, which gives it advanced hyper-level intelligence. And then the monkey and Fry go back to college together. <laughs> they share a dorm room, and you know, Fry is a dipshit, so he's bad at college. The monkey is a super genius, so he does very well at college. But he starts to realize he doesn't really fit in because the humans think he's a freak, and yeah. the monkeys hate him. He, can't, he goes back to his monkey family, and they're like eating bananas and flinging poop at each other. And so he doesn't fit in there. And so he has this whole like big debate with himself over whether it was better to be a right. monkey, less than rational, 
or to be his unsatisfied, full, fully rational self now. And in, in the cartoon, of course, he takes the hat off and returns the monkeyness. Yeah. Um, uh, and I would make the claim that that's a, an irrational choice, that um, he should have changed his desires to uh, be in line with being more rational, as opposed to giving in to the desire to be less rational and to yeah. give up the, the thing that he had. Because, I mean, I, I don't know. So this, I, yeah, this might be the, one of those ultimate issues that, we, yeah. that our discussions always come down to, that I just think that better to be Socrates dissatisfied than a pig satisfied is a dictum of rationality. Um, uh, I, not maybe not a dictum of rationality, but like one of those added axioms or something maybe that you have that, that you have to put in. I don't know how to express it, but that this kind of million idea yeah. that that you I don't know. And maybe it just comes from the sense that I wouldn't do it. Uh, um, unless it were reversible, and I would say I'll be a monkey for a year, and then I'll, I'll want my rationality back. But I, w I wouldn't give up even the tiny bit of rationality that I have. I wouldn't give it up. And I, I know it's not astronomical, um, but even the small amount that I can work with is so valuable to me um, that any uh, angst or alienation or you know other kinds of existential stuff that results from it is worth it. Do you know the douchebag brain meme? <laughs> no, but I'm I'm already regretting that I'm about to know about it. Yeah. So it's like you know all the all the different instances of the douchebag brain meme. Okay. Have a picture of the brain, and then you know there's some text about what a douchebag your brain is. <laughs> One of my favorite ones is the brain is the most complex and fascinating thing in the universe. Says your brain. <laughs> it's true, right? <laughs> I'm thinking about the same thing about your rationality module. Your rationality module is like really full of itself, Richard. It is. It's um, like, but, but it's not. I'm it's, not going to become of, a monkey. It's full of itself because um, the results are addicting. So it's full of itself because. The tiny bit of rationality that humans have has allowed us to uh, reach the moon, um, almost simulate human-level intelligence, uh, destroy the Earth <laughs> uh, to the point where we almost can't live in it anymore, which is a bad – I mean, that's the, the, the abuse of reason. I mean, I think reason is a tool, and it's being co-opted by a bunch of base shit, a bunch of really low-level stuff, <laughs> um, and it's being – and reason doesn't have the power to override that stuff yet, but it's developing that power. Um, and it's the slow process from you know Roman times where rape was considered normal to now where rape is still like done a lot, but at least we pretend like we think it's terrible, um, to the future a thousand years from now where people really will believe that it's terrible and cease to do it. So I see a, a common trajectory from, from there to there and the thread that ties the trajectory together is reason. Um, it, it, and it's not, it's not emotions because those don't do this kind of work. Those make me care about you because you're here and you're my friend. And those make me think that you are somehow more important than that person I don't know, which is, I think, fundamentally irrational. Um, and reason keeps telling me that, but emotions keep getting in the way. And this other stuff keeps getting in the way. Um, and that's the source of a lot of yeah. evil stuff in the world, I think. Um, so, so, so I, you're right. I do think that my, my, 
my rationality module is, is telling me that it's pretty good. But it's also saying, um, you know, this another, I hate, I'm quoting Rebecca Goldstein over and over again, but she makes this point. Look, if you don't like this argument, then the only way to get rid of it is by offering another argument. <laughs> so, and this goes back to Aristotle's idea. Anyone who says that philosophy is bad has to do some philosophy to show what's bad about it. So it can't be bad because you have to use it to refute it. Um, uh, and the same is true here. Don't you know about I mean, Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge? Yeah, they just go and kill everyone. <laughs> yeah, that's another way to do it. But, you know, don't you know about uh, Guy Fox? <laughs> or not Guy Fox. What's his name? Uh, you can't kill an idea. You know, what is this? Uh, the 21st of November or whatever. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, what is it? Eber Vendetta. Uh, yeah, right. Exactly. So, yes, you're right. You could gun me down, but an idea can't be gunned down. And, it ex and it, it, ideas exist through time. And you can burn books and you can eradicate people, but the ideas ferment. And they bubble up and it takes a long time, but they don't get stomped out. At least and we, it hasn't happened yet. Now, maybe it will happen that we're all the, you know, the Chimera Rouge style killing fields and wipes everyone out who gives a shit about other people. But, uh,. Hasn't happened yet. You can't keep a good idea down, and the idea that all people are equal um, is an idea that won't go away, and it's based in reason, and it's based in the value that I place in my own life, and reason dictates that, therefore, life is valuable. Um, so that's an idea that's slowly sinking in. Now, I, and I'm ready for the long haul. I say 100,000 years <laughs> at least. So it's been 150,000 years so far, and we're getting to the point where we could say these kinds of ideas, but yet we don't, they, they don't grip everyone yet. I say 100,000 years more, and they will. Okay. Well, you know, we should say some things like, uh, you know, people who are interfacing us with their ears should know there's also spacetimemind.com, a website where we have uh, all sorts of extra goodies, surplus content in the old philosophy of science turn of phrase. So you could see music videos, you could That's a cool see music video, by the way. Thank you very much. And yeah, your uh, your cinematic trailers. You can see the raw video. You can see uh, links to articles that we mentioned. And uh, I didn't we'll... know that was Obama in the in the song. By the way, awesome. I I picked out Khan. I knew that was. I could tell it was Khan. But I was like, that other person kind of sounds like Obama. But when would he have said Jedi mind meld? When would actually, he... <laughs> actually, it's not Khan. That's Kirk. But I couldn't find Kirk saying space. Oh, wait, I, wait. I, I, so wait, that's not Khan saying space? Right. So you just put Khan's picture in the video when it's really Kirk saying space. Yeah, which I guess is... Oh, it, it, oh I thought that was Khan. <laughs> but now that I think about it, it does sound like Kirk. Space, it's like the, the final frontier. It's You've been McGurk. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, right, it's from it's the Kirk. intro. It's Kirk from the original intro. Son of a bitch, I got McGurk. <laughs> I got catfished. <laughs> uh, you know what? I can't wait until, by the way, artificially intelligent chatbots are catfishing people. Uh, we should probably end on this. Do you know anything about these like chatbots that are out there? There's a real yes. deep, twisted underworld. Although we could, and I, I get creeped out just even talk, thinking about it, but there are these like, you know, um, Alice, the, 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 the grand daughter of Elizabeth, yeah. Um, or excuse me, Eliza, I think it is, the uh, old um, artificially intelligent uh, psychotherapist, who, by the way, I used to play with Eliza when I was in the seventh grade. <laughs> yeah. I was using a version of that prize, so I remember from way back. But anyway, so anyway, um, this now lives on the internet, Alice, the artificial linguistic internet chat <clears throat> entity or something. Yeah. Um, and you can pay for a service, and they have different services. One, you can pay for um, uh, a companion to 
talk if you're ESL. So if you want to talk in English with someone, you can pay for the service. You get a chat bot, and they talk to you. It's a, it's a chat bot, so you awesome. have a conversation. But then there's also these weird sex chat bots. So you pay for this service, and you can make the avatar look however you want. And then you can go in and do brain surgery on this. I mean, I did a neuroethics class. That's how I know so much oh. about this. Um, so you can go, and you can say, like, how do you want it? You can put submissive, dominatrix, hard to get, aloof, any kind of setting you want. And then Rational. the person yeah, – right, Exactly. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, anyway, so it's really disturbing, though, because you can just make these weird sex toys that are like have the persona of real people. And then the even weirder thing is they, they have these really hyper-realistic avatars that look like real human people. Um, and you can, inter you can have them do stuff, and you can chat sex with them. It's so disgusting. But then you might wonder, well, is that better or worse than doing it with a real person? I don't know because I see the argument that it could be better. Like you're not hurting anyone, but then again, I see the argument that it could be worse. I mean, I don't know. To me, this is you're like it's such a seedy underbelly. Oh, I gotta mention one thing before we go. There used to be this game called Creatures. Have you ever heard of it? Uh-uh. Maybe ten years ago, it was an artificial life video game. Oh, I do know. For PlayStation, you can make your weird creatures with arms and legs and. No. Okay, then no. No, no, no. That thing is. You're thinking of Spore. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. This yeah, is yeah. from before Spore. Okay. It, it was called Creatures, and um, it, it it's kind of like uh, you get these little, you get a little pet creature, um, but there's a whole a whole race of them, and you and you uh, have to like, it's kind of like Sim City, you know, that kind of style game, simulation game. So it's an I open love those games. game. Uh, but with creatures, there are these little creatures called Norns, and they can uh, they Frankie they doesn't like Norns. Uh, sorry, Frankie. Uh, <laughs> And they reproduce um, sexually. Then there's little baby norm, norns, and then they grow up. And there's a genetic algorithm, so there's different traits. And also there's a, a neural network controlling them. So you can, you can reward them and punish them. Uh, if, they, if they do certain behavior you don't want them to do, you can slap them, and then will punish it. And, and oh, it'll God. Change. So anyway, um, there's a, there was this online community of people like talking about their norns and tips for breeding certain colors and stuff. But then there were some people that were Norn torturers. Yeah. They would like, they would take a Norn and they would put it in some isolated uh, part of the world, so it couldn't get out and explore, and it couldn't eat. Yeah. And and then they would just slap it over and over and over again. And and there were people that were like really so upset, like holy up. shit, you're torturing Norns. Yeah. You're just like you're raising this thing so you can slap it over and over again, and torture it. And it's I so have to admit. Good. I was into the game enough that I was kind of upset when I learned about the Norn torturers. Like, I really like my Norns. They're all dead now. My Sims, too. The Sims don't, you can't slap them, but I would build, build a house, which was just one room, and put yeah. no food in there, and the Sim would be trapped. And yeah. then they, like, defecate themselves, and yeah. they start crying. And it's, it's really sad. I mean, uh, so, yeah, that's a terrible feature of us, that we like to torture the helpless creatures. Uh, Hopefully I, we'll transcend that someday. When I was playing, you know, I don't know, I haven't played Sims in a long time, but I had a character that would go and seduce other people's spouses. Yeah, exactly. And then I would, lure, you know, after they became my spouse, I would bring them back to my home, and I would build a room that they couldn't get out of. Right, And exactly. I would set them up with a canvas. You know, they, they would paint. They make paint paintings, sad pictures. <laughs> and then the, and the paintings. No, they would be. You could sell the paintings. <laughs> so he would just produce paintings. So I had this house filled with <laughs> <That's these> <laughs> all these. So like of them. 
<laughs> so <laughs> terrible. Please guys hope that they're not conscious, right? <laughs> <laughs> it really brings, you know, oh, God, that reminds me. Oh, my God. There's this really sick and twisted animated short feature film on YouTube called The Animated Adventures of Mark Twain or something yes. like that. Have you ever seen this? Oh, yeah. It's I show so that to my students. so sick and twisted. With Satan. Feature where God, the God character shows them the world. Yeah. And he has all these little Norn type creatures, and then he's like, "Oh, look at him!" And then he smushes them. And yeah. Mark Twain's like, "Oh, that's terrible." He's like, "I'll make more." And then he re. It's just like so twisted. Yeah, that's a that's a movie called from the '80s that was made for kids, and it's based. How could on, that be made for kids? And it's and all the stuff. It's all these like little short stories, and it's all based on stuff that Mark Twain actually wrote. Oh, is it and, really? And oh. the little, the, the, the the most famous segment is that thing with the Satan with Satan. I'm, so I'm I an angel. God, not Satan. Yeah, well, it was, is it? It's <laughs> a God character of that world or whatever. Yeah, he introduces himself as an angel, and right. the kids are like, "Oh yeah, what's your name?" He's like Satan, and the kid says, "That's a weird name for an angel," and uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't remember that part. I guess because yeah. I saw this in clips on YouTube. Maybe that was from earlier. It's on YouTube, but I show it to my my intro to philosophy students all the time, and they're just like, whoa, dude, that is so upsetting. It's so Why upsetting. Exactly. It's like the ultimate Norn torture. <laughs> but I believe... I believe you know what's funny? Yeah. And by the way, oh, full circle, people in real experimental settings, if you do like Milgram-style experiments on them, um, where they do it to a virtual character, so you know these experiments where you... The person in the lab court says, shock the, the person over there if they get the answer wrong. Yeah. And you have them turn the dial, and the dial says, like, ridiculously high amount of voltage, fatal. And then the person, well, you can get them to push it, but they get real emotional. A lot of people re refuse to do it until you get authoritarian on them. What's funny, though, is if you do it with a computer-simulated person, but, but when you press a button, if they say, ouch, and, and say, stop, 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 people get really, really conflicted, and, like, yeah. they're really... They get as emotional as though they're doing it to a person. Yeah. I think this is like some of the strongest uh, support that people have for like analytic functionalism slash behaviorism. Yes. We really do just associate certain behaviors with the mental states. Yes. Whether, even if we have good evidence that it's a, computer, it's a simulated program thing, still yes. the association of the behaviors is super strong. Analytic functionalism for the win. <laughs> you know what? I always say this. You know, people that talk about inverted qualia stuff, that, a lot of that stuff gets its power from talking about um, um, colors. You, you know, can you red look like right. my green or what? But like, it loses all of its power as soon as you switch to anything like pain. Like, right. Could you be experiencing pain by going, oh, <laughs> oh. like fuck no? Like people, I I have a much stronger intuition that right. that inverted pains and stuff like that are like super not allowable because they're more associated with behaviors. But like, right. what real behavior is like seeing red associated with, except for saying that's red or so I think that in, that's why it gets under the radar a lot easier there because we don't really have strong t associations um, with behavior like we do with these other cases. So right. anyway, I, that was a distraction. Sorry about that. But I, we surprised. We got to stop some point, dude. Yeah, We're never gonna I, stop I, I gotta. My, I gotta get. <laughs> I gotta get going, man. You have a lecture on Kant. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've got to practice. I'm actually just getting dressed and go do something with my life. I go to work. Or Put something. some pants on. You existential. No, I have pants on. Oh, now you do. <laughs> exactly. Is is it fully rational to be wearing pants if you can't be if they can't be seen? I don't know. You know, we only need to simulate enough of reality to get by. So my whole lower half is not being simulated right now. You know, Russo only ever wore a robe. So I certainly hope that in the future they know something about biology and they don't just 
trying to recreate us from the outside, so to speak, um, and get all the internal stuff totally wrong. <laughs> I want to have some, you know, hopefully they know about neurons and hearts, and it's not just like simulating just the behavior. <laughs> Uh, because that's all, if that's all they have from YouTube is a bunch of uh, outside third personal data, that's not good. <laughs> anyway, okay. So Sorry, uh, I got to go, man. Yeah, me too. It was good talking to you as always. And as always. Time, don't uh, torture your norns. Don't torture. <laughs> don't torture your norns, man. All right, later. <laughs> <laughs>